Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody. This is Sky from Davy Jones Locker Room and, of course, Beneath the Frozen Sea. So when we last left off, uh, the Kraken had brought it to Game 7 and, unfortunately, were not able to advance to the Western Conference Finals. There's a lot we can learn about the final game of the Kraken season, but I think the most important thing that we can just pick up on is the offense dried up once again, Philip Grubauer showed why the faith that this organization has had in him was founded. That said, do I think he was perfect? Uh, I think he definitely struggled a bit more with the Stars than I think he did with the Avalanche. But he definitely showed that there is something there. And if the Kraken can continue to boost their offense, that definitely helps. Especially given that Game 7 was, once again, a really strong performance but they didn't have the finish, and I think having someone like Andre Perkovsky around would have absolutely helped. Now, they did get some good help in Ty Cartier, who was still playing. Uh, we will talk about the Firebirds later in the program, but yeah, the long and short of it is they had a really good system, they played really well, they just couldn't overcome the kind of finish that the Dallas Stars had, and that stinks, but... That's still a really good run to go in your second year to the conference semifinals. That's really, really good. But it's something to build on, and you can't get indolent while you're building a contender. But there's no point in dwelling on the past right now, because the Kraken have an offseason ahead of them. And they have a lot of work to do. They've got about a projected uh, $20 million in cap space, but don't get tantalized yet. They've got a lot of RFAs to start considering signing. Starting with the forwards, we've got Morgan Geeky and Daniel Sprong up this year, and Ely Tolvanen and Matthew Beneers up next year. Now, uh, when it comes to the current year RFAs, this, I think, could be a very tough decision for Ron Francis. Daniel Sprong had an unbelievable season. He was absolutely fantastic for the Kraken this year. Uh, he was a pickup on waivers. He did very well. Uh, he had an improbable 21-goal season in 66 games. 
He played absolutely out of his mind, and he was also shooting a 14.3 now. One of the things that makes his shooting percentage very interesting is that it is relatively high uh, in general. He likes to shoot a lot. That's fairly obvious if you watch him play. But it rubber bands. Um, it goes from an 8.7 at his uh, very lowest or to a shocking zero through 16 games with Pittsburgh in 2018-2019, which is hilarious. And then it rebounds all the way up to 12.84 when he is traded to the Ducks. The thing is, is that when he goes to a new place or transitions into a new offense, he tries to really impress people. He gets these huge shooting spikes and then he kind of comes back down to earth. Now, his career shooting percentage is pretty high. It's 11.9. And this season, uh, he had a 14.3. That is his second best ever. But he's had more results. And he's as a result, he's played more games. Uh, he had a 46-point season. And he was still just sort of a bottom six. You know, dependable. But maybe not a game-breaking goal scorer for the Kraken. And I guess that's really the question. What do you want to do with a guy like Daniel Sprong? He's clearly got a lot of talent, but what happens if he has one of those years where he doesn't really shoot to the expectation that he sets? What happens when he clearly looks replaceable, which he has had real trouble making himself irreplaceable throughout his career? And can you, in good conscience, give a player like that a considerable raise which he previously did not make a tremendous amount of money. He made $750,000 on his last contract, which once again came from a PTO. He had to earn that. That's pretty good for the kind of effort they got out of him, but if he goes on ahead and crosses the million dollar mark, do you actually think that it's going to pay off? And historically, that hasn't really been the case. His salary progression has sort of stuck between $6,900,000 and $7,500,000. Now, if you can get a similar sub-50, 45-point season out of him again, uh, good, good. But the big issue that he has had is establishing that sort of consistency throughout his career. And I don't know if giving him any more money beyond a million dollars per year is really what the Kraken can afford to give. It's fine to have depth guys, but... Right now, what we're talking about to improve the Kraken is goal support. And I just don't know if you can get a guy for $750,000 to give you almost 50 points again. Especially if he's looking for something more along the lines of above a million per year. More like two or three million, given that he has now entered the 40-50 points club. And that's the kind of contract that can really sink you in the long run. I can tell you quite a bit about the Matt Bolesky contract that Boston gave out that absolutely was not lived up to. It can happen to the best players or even to guys that we all kind of like. That said, he was pretty well supported and his fancy stats are pretty good, though that's pretty true of the entire Kraken team. I think if you wanted to bring him back on, say, a two and a half million dollar prove-it contract, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Just keep it below three. If you want him to stay here, he needs to make less than three million dollars. On to Morgan Geeky, the other RFA that is up this year. Uh, he is a younger player. He was picked in the expansion draft. He was not a signing like Daniel Sprong was. He was not found money necessarily. Um, I like Morgan Geeky. He is all over the community. But one thing that I think 
is probably going to be a pain for him is that he just kind of had pedestrian numbers. It was a pretty decent bottom six option. He had 28 uh, points in 69 games. Nice. But uh, he didn't quite have the explosive finish that the Kraken really wanted, and he's still just a depth guy. There's nothing wrong with being a depth guy, but if you wanted to re-sign him, I think the smartest thing for them to do is to just give him something like a $1.5 million contract for the next, I don't know, two, three years. Let him be a perfectly decent, solid rock alongside Brandon Tanev and any number of young Firebirds that have been graduated into being Kraken. I don't really have any stronger opinion on him than that. He was very pedestrian in the analytics. Uh, He was okay. He was definitely not a bad player. It's just, when it comes to the potential upsides, I just don't think it's nearly as there as it is for guys like Daniel Sprung. So, yeah, not really as... uh, not really as invested in geeky. He could absolutely prove me wrong, though. I would absolutely love to be proven wrong next year, if they decide to bring him back. But that's just the forwards that are on RFA. The real issue comes from the defense, the blue liners, because they've got four guys up for contracts and the RFA designation, and they're all real, real important. Kale Fleury, William Borgen, and Vince Dunn. Starting with Flurry, um, he's probably going to have to go to arbitration if he wants more money. He was sort of a respectable, but otherwise pretty pedestrian seventh defenseman for the Kraken. He was good. He was not uh, one of the big four. I think he was a perfectly acceptable option if someone was having struggles. And yeah, he was just fine. I don't really think he deserves anything beyond, say a token $2 million deal if you bring him back at all. I think it would also be good for him if, say, uh, he were given a better home, because I feel like it's going to become really, really hard, given the kind of player that they currently have kicking around in their minor league system, for Fleury to really justify his roster spot. You've got guys like Riker Evans, who is going off in the AHL right now. You have 19-year-old Ty Nelson, who is going to join the Firebirds next year. It's gonna be really tough to kick some of these younger defensemen off the roster, especially if they are as gifted as Evans has shown to be, as Nelson is showing with the North Bay Battalion in the OHL right now. This is gonna be really hard for him to really find a space beyond being a depth guy who gets a at or above league minimum contract for maybe a year or two. That's no disrespect to him. He's an absolutely very talented player. It's just The kind of player who is coming into the system through the draft right now really makes it hard for him to get justified ice time, and I think if the Kraken are going to do anything with him, I think they're going to try and package him with a trade. Will Borgen and Vince Dunn, on the other hand, those two, I think, have absolutely earned and justified a extension. I think William Borgen is the future of the right side of the defense for the Kraken, especially since a lot of this defense is currently on the wrong side of 30 or about to be on the wrong side of 30, um, I think that he plays a very, very solid, sound game. I don't think he's perfect. I think he's still got a lot of work to do. But I also think that Big Billy Borgen is a major part of this team going forward, and he absolutely deserves a uh, substantial raise. But right behind him is Vince Dunn. Vince Dunn is your number one defenseman if you don't think that uh, Adam Larson is. 
if you think that your number one uh, defenseman is the biggest, toughest guy, then it's probably Adam Larson still. But if you think that your number one defenseman is the guy through which a vast majority of your offense starts, where a lot of your transition chances coming through, this is your guy. Vince Dunn has been extremely good over the last uh, two years at uh, trying to create offense for the team. And given what he had to work with last year, uh, that's really important. He has the numbers to back up his game. He has uh, been one of the most trusted players with ice time on this team. He struggles a bit with the power play, and for a guy as offensively gifted as Vince Dunn is, uh, you need more from him on that front. But that's only because he's playing so well, especially at 5-on-5, five five, especially in creating transition, which has been an absolute killer for the Kraken over the last year or so. The big thing is that if you can get him going on the power play, he can go from a really half-decent 5-on-5 player into being an absolute ace-in-the-hole player in general. Uh, My criticism of his power play, my criticism of his man-advantage play could be given to the entire team, but for a guy as talented as he is, it's all just nitpicking to hopefully bring him to bigger heights. And I think he's probably in for a nice long contract extension. Uh, because he's Vince Dunn sort of is sort of emblematic of the kind of player that Ron Francis wants the defense to continue looking like. You know, big, definitely a big body, but fast, able to get out of the zone very quickly, uh, modernized NHL defense. And that is something that can start with guys like Borgen and Dunn getting extensions. But that's not the only thing that the Kraken have to worry about coming up in the offseason. More immediately, they have the NHL draft coming. They've got 10 picks, three in the second round, two in the sixth, and they still have their first round pick, which is set to be 20th overall. Regarding that 20th overall pick, it's kind of hard to say what exactly is the best possible choice right now because this is a very deep draft, and as a result, all the draft prognosticators don't really agree on who is a consensus 20, because they all like a different player. Elite prospects like center Braden Yeager from the Moose Jaw Warriors, for example, whereas Daily Faceoff really likes Matthew Wood from UConn. The most interesting one is uh, Bob McKenzie, who decided that he really liked David Reinbacher. He's an Austrian-born player playing in the Swiss National League, and rounding it out, is Sportsnet's choice, who is another defenseman, the London Knights' Oliver Bonk. These are all fantastic names, very hockey, um, but as of right now, as of this podcast recording, I don't have nearly enough data, I haven't seen enough of them play, um, critically none of them are on the Firebirds or in the Memorial Cup, which has been sort of where my attention has been, so once I get into the draft profile season, which is Uh, upcoming in the next couple of weeks. I will probably dig in and see what these players are like, and uh, we will see where they go. I'm definitely very interested in seeing why Bob McKenzie likes a random Austrian kid more than most of the other, uh, most of the other draft prognosticators, and I definitely want to see what guys like Braden Yeager bring to the table, because technically speaking, he will be adjacent to close. I don't know, maybe they could work something out where he becomes uh, a T-Bird or a Silvertip over the season so that he can be closer to Seattle. 
More importantly, I think the thing that is most powerful for the Kraken is the fact that they have three second round picks. If the Kraken wanted to make some noise and start trades at the draft, start trying to acquire roster players in the here and now, that is a great way to do it. They have tradable assets all up and down the lineup as much as we love our Kraken, but more importantly, with picks in this upcoming draft that you can use to potentially rebuild or uh, shorten up your prospect system, that is huge. That is a very useful weapon in Ron Francis's toolbox, and I really hope he utilizes it. I like having second-round picks. Second-round picks often uh, turn out to be surprisingly pretty good because guys can slip, but I do want to see them try and maybe move at least one or two of them to see if they can't get better position or another roster player. But before even any of that gets settled, the AHL season is still going on for the Kraken, or at the very least the Coachella Valley Firebirds, where all the baby Kraken are being gestated into becoming fully-fledged NHL players. And we have, we have a chance here for the Firebirds to do something crazy, and that is go to the Calder Cup Final in their inaugural season if they manage to pull out a victory over the Milwaukee Admirals. And so far... They are almost there. They've had an absolutely phenomenal run. They have had to be they had to be a little unnecessarily dramatic about the whole thing. Uh, the lower rounds of the AHL playoffs go uh, best of three and then best of five for two rounds. And in though all of those three series, a play-in round and then the conference semifinal and then final, they had to go the maximum number of games. They had to play three games and then five games and then five games, which was a lot, which so far seems to have uh, battle-tested them very well against the Admirals. They've played very back-and-forth games with the Admirals so far. Game one was on Thursday, May 25th. They finished a score of 6-4 to four in favor of the Firebirds. And then as, uh, as I am recording this, the Milwaukee Admirals and the Coachella Valley Firebirds finished up, and Game 2 also went to the Firebirds on a score of 5-3. to three. Now, one of the big things that has been coming out of this is Shane Wright. Shane Wright has been playing limited minutes. He has been maybe less of a factor than people were expecting, uh, especially not to the uh, position, especially not to the expectation as Max McCormick or uh, Cole Lind has been, especially Jesper Froden and Riker Evans, who have been really out of their mind playing very well. Uh, Shane Wright did indeed get a uh, an assist on Billy Petman's goal. Uh, it was a pretty good sh goal. It was a pretty good uh, opportunity for them, but they've been playing so well that it's really kind of making you wonder uh, what's going on with Shane Wright. Why is Shane Wright having reduced minutes? Why isn't he a major part of the goal scoring threat? Why isn't he the player that uh, I was told he was going to be? And you have to remember that Shane Wright has had one of the most bizarre seasons, perhaps in the entire uh, prospect sphere of the NHL right now. If you remember, he started with the Kraken. He played and he looked very outmatched at the NHL level, but they couldn't play him at the AHL level because if they did, uh, he would have... But they couldn't pull... But they couldn't play him at the ANA, but they couldn't play him full time at the AHL level because he was too young and under this insane CHL NHL agreement, uh, these players need to be above the age of 20 
in order to go to the AHL full-time. So they had to do everything they could. They stretched out the 10 games he was allowed before they sent him back, stretched it out as hard as they could. They gave him a conditioning stint in the AHL, and he looked good. That's the important thing. He looked really good at the AHL level. He should have been there the whole time, but because of the rules, he couldn't. So, sent him to the World Juniors, and he did really well at the World Juniors. Then, they had to send him back down to the CHL. Junior had nothing for him, and I think they knew that. He had 37 points in 20 games. There was nothing there that he needed to prove. And as a result, I think that really did kind of mess him up a little bit. He was a point per game at the World Juniors when he was playing players of his caliber, but he was just, he struggled with the Spitfires, and I really think that kind of rattled him. And now he has to readjust to not only the AHL, but the AHL during the playoffs. So I think this is the best possible thing for him. To his credit, he is playing very well. He is playing very, very well. He's got five points in 13 games. That still means he's kind of a, uh, a depth player, and he's being treated like it. But in my opinion, I think... This is a great opportunity for him to learn. I think this is a great opportunity for him to say, all right, I can get my confidence back. I can get myself into a better position. And next year, when I am playing for the Coachella Valley Firebirds full time, I am going to be able to actually take control of that league. And then I will be able to play for the Kraken at the level that I was expected to be playing at. So personally speaking, I feel like Shane Wright is fine. He has had a very rocky first year as a member of the Kraken. That isn't really his fault. It's just a bad deal, uh, especially a bad deal. That has nothing to do with him. It's this idiotic rule that says that a player who is under contract uh, can't be set to the minor league system of the NHL team. It's just insane. And I think it has given him a bit of a half step backwards, but he's still a good player. So, in my opinion, I think he's going to be able to prove himself uh, in the upcoming season. I'm not sure he's going to be able to get all the way to the NHL roster, but I think he will have a much better time as a full-time member of the Firebirds going forward. That said, I have absolutely nothing bad to say about the rest of the Firebirds as they're playing out of their minds. And, hey, if they play games 3 and 4 well enough... The Firebirds could be uh, sitting pretty while the Hershey and the Rochester series on the other coast wraps up, because it looks like it's going to be a much longer series than either team thought possible. And now that we're out of Kraken news, we've got a little bit of time to talk about what's going on around the NHL, and oh buddy! First of all, the most expensive team in the league, the Toronto Maple Leafs, fired their general manager, Kyle Dubas, after a very bizarre press conference where he insinuated maybe he didn't want to continue taking the job, and was fired at the behest of team president Brendan Shanahan. All of this comes in the wake of Toronto getting swept in the second round by the Eastern Conference champion, Florida Panthers. It's the only thing that the major Canadian outlets are actually talking about right now because everything the Leafs do has to be a production. My personal take on it is that this looks like a very emotional decision in the short term, but that said, this is a team that has only very recently actually looked like a somewhat competent organization. Who knows, after getting kicked out of the first round so many times, uh, maybe it is time for new blood in the Toronto front office, but I can't help but feel like we're about to see the beginnings of the end for what that team used to look like, and the future of that team used to look so, so bright, and now absolutely no one is happy inside 
of the Toronto market. Everyone else is just waiting with a big old bag of popcorn, including myself. I admit I am no better, and I just want to see how bad this gets. Another Canadian team also got new management. Craig Conroy, alongside Dave Nonis, uh, are now the general manager and AGM of the Calgary Flames, who had a very disappointing season, to the Kraken's benefit, of course. Um, they also brought in Jerome McGinley as a special assistant. Uh, personally, I have uh, limited knowledge of Craig Conroy in the front office. He seems like a very nice guy. People really like him. Uh, he seems to be a great storyteller. He seems like a guy that you could absolutely see yourself being uh, convinced to play in Calgary because of. That said, Dave Nonis being back in the NHL. Dave Nonis was bad. Dave Nonis had a article at Pension Plan Puppets comparing his off-season moves to a potato, and the potato wiped the floor with him under the very strict criteria of because it's a potato, it can't hand out new contracts, and because it's a potato, it can only draft the best possible player in junior. I don't think that's the kind of guy the Calgary Flames need. I am always very annoyed when these Canadian teams that have all the money in the world, have all these resources in the world, have a dedicated fan base, just coast. This is coasting. I like Craig Conroy. He is a name I have not heard before in an NHL position, but to me, it's just emblematic of how low the standards for Canadian teams are if Dave Nonis, a guy who famously famously has struggled to put together competitive teams or struggled to put even competent teams on the ice in a major Canadian market just isn't good enough. Demand better if you're a Canadian sports fan. Speaking of demanding better, the Arizona Coyotes did not get their arena in Tempe. That isn't necessarily news. They've been struggling to find a permanent home in the Phoenix area for a good long while now. And even with slightly better ownership than previous, they are still having this issue. Personally speaking, um, I do not have the stronger opinions of a lot of other commentators. I think that I think that hockey in the desert can work. Look at Las Vegas, as much as I don't like them either. No, I don't like them either, but the Vegas Golden Knights are successful. They have a team and an operation that seems very much built to do what it is built to do, and that's compete. Unfortunately, the NHL has been so desperate to keep this team in Phoenix that they will let any old guy take control of the team, and that is just painful. It doesn't matter how they run the team, it doesn't matter how they actually exist as a hockey team, uh, whether or not they exist as a money laundering operation for uh, other cap other general managers to dump their bad contracts, or as effectively a long-term injured reserve for the rest of the league. It doesn't matter. They're going to keep them there as long as it is feasible for them to be there. But I think a much darker reason that this team exists there and will likely continue to exist there is because they are the most obviously and most visibly embarrassing element of the league right now. A lot of the league's big problems are really, really embarrassing and are critically really hard to come up with big solutions for. It is near impossible to watch a regular season hockey game in several gigantic markets for the league. There is tons of gatekeeping over good things for the sport like personality and having a personal sense of style. 
The Chicago Blackhawks just got the first overall pick after covering up, successfully might I add, abuse by a coach. And we're putting Connor Bedard on that team. The Mitchell Miller situation in Boston that made them look absolutely horrendous. Five of the seven Canadian teams, the teams that have all of the advantages inherent to this sport, are in some form of violent upheaval if they're not actively being sold right now. A good pair of skates for kids currently costs as much as a video game system. And that's all the stuff just off my head. And that's all the stuff just off the top of my head. I haven't even brought up the 2018 World Junior situation, which might involve several players still in the playoffs who might be facing criminal charges, among a number of different, much bigger problems that are endemic to the sport right now. And yes, every sport has their demons. But the point is, I think one professional team that is struggling to find an arena for themselves and is struggling to uh, meaningfully compete is, in my opinion, infinitely less of a problem than the bigger issues that people choose to not focus on. I think the Coyotes are probably the fourth or fifth most embarrassing thing in the league. I am just so sick of hearing about this. I think the best way to move on from now on is to just sort of wait for them to either get sold to someone who will actually try and make them a good team or move them to Houston or Kansas City. In lighter news, the Western Conference Final has actually become sort of competitive. The Dallas Stars have managed to force a Game 6 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Good. As much as I don't care for the Stars, I super don't care for the Vegas Golden Knights. So let that one go as long as they want. I bet you they will have trouble against the Panthers anyway. Speaking of which, the Eastern Conference champions are the Florida Panthers, uh, who are who are sitting pretty after a sweep of the Carolina Hurricanes. That was a crazy series because it never felt like uh, the Hurricanes were really ever, ever able to actually get anything going. And now we're staring down the barrel of Matthew Kachuk potentially bringing a team all the way to the Stanley Cup final and potentially winning the whole thing. That is crazy, no matter what happens. If the Knights manage to pull it out, that will mean that no team that has won the Stanley Cup before will go. And no matter how you slice it, objectively speaking, all four of these teams have a bunch of really cool American players that you could uh, latch on to. Of course, I have a lot of negative feelings about all three of these teams that I'm slowly trying to dull down if I want to actively pick a favorite. So, we'll see. Oh man, picking that cup finalist is going to be a pain. That's it for me. My name is Sky, and you've been listening to Beneath the Frozen Sea, off-season edition number one. We hope you manage to get over to DavyJonesLockerRoom.com as we move on into our off-season. Uh, if you want to watch the Coachella Valley Firebirds, you are free to do so at AHLTV.com. Uh, they have uh, special price packages for the rest of the playoffs and single-game packages if you so desire. Game 3 is on Monday at 6 PDT. Thank you all very much, and go Kraken! <laughs>